Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights brought to you by Lumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting and leadership development firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations and its leaders. On this program, we explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can navigate this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift then to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina Health Partners. With over three decades of experience, Daniel specializes in helping organizations shape their strategic initiatives in areas of population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and board retreats. For additional insights, visit our website, luminahp.com, and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's show, we're going to spend some time talking about payers and their evolving products and what we're seeing in the industry now as they're having conversation with hospitals, with physicians, with providers in general. It's an interesting environment that we're, we're dealing with now as many hospitals are experiencing challenges with costs, in particular high inflation that's occurring. Gosh, I was talking to one of my, one of my clients, a CFO, and their labor costs are up over, over 8%. It's just, it's just amazing. And obviously in healthcare, if costs goes up, go up, we can't just pass on those costs to consumers by raising our prices. Our reimbursement for the most part is, is fixed. So it, it does create a real economic challenge to hospitals, to physicians. And as we're starting to see, and I think we're only starting to, to, to tap into this, um, the, the, the challenges with margins on hospitals are, are increasing. Many hospitals are continuing to lose quite a bit of money. We're seeing the government, we're seeing the commercial payers beginning to respond but they're responding in interesting ways. They're responding by adding new products, having different types of negotiations with, with providers. Um, we're starting to see and continuing to see shifting of risk occurring back to providers, all creating this interesting dynamic on reimbursement and really setting expectations around changing the care delivery model. Well, I am pleased today to have a colleague of mine who's been on the show before, extremely knowledgeable in the commercial insurance industry with the government reimbursement industry, um, has negotiated numerous contracts for providers across the country. Cliff Frank, Cliff, glad hey. to have you in the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. So Cliff is... is as you think about what's occurring with some of the contract negotiations between payers and providers, um, you know, it's not, it's not any easier. It's, I think it's getting tougher, right? We're seeing yeah, absolutely a lot of the providers just not coming up with good contracts with, with the payers. And frankly, when, when you look at some of the quarterly reports that the insurance 
providers are or insurance carriers are are reporting, they're actually doing financially very well. It's creating this, this challenging communication gap between the providers and between the carriers, all of which are really creating a major challenge for us as patients, right? What are you seeing? What are some of the things that you're hearing as you're having these conversations? So I think it creates a new view for risk contracting. Risk contracts in this kind of environment are actually a counter-cyclical investment that providers can make. Because what's happening now is the payers are making bank on empty hospitals or slower ORs and and uh, right less procedure utilization, utilization that previously and, happened. That's right, and and meanwhile the hospitals are suffering a triple whammy of higher costs for supplies, higher labor costs and lower patient volumes. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, some of the conversations- That doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And some of the conversations that I'm having right now with payers, I'm not seeing payers increasing their fee-for-service rates, right? I'm seeing them keeping the rates the same. And in some cases, they're crying poor, where they're saying, hey, we want to reduce your rates by 2 or 3%. But oh, by the way, if you want to make it up, we're happy to create some type of a risk model in your contract so you can earn it, right? Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, payers are happy. It's it's still more in the pay for performance or a little bit of upside with a little bit of downside. It's not yet the full ACO reach kind of uh, dele full delegated risk, but you know, where Medicare goes, the payers eventually follow. So, so let's talk about that for, for a second. Um, ACO Re Reach is a fairly new product, um, new offering that the government has, has put out. And for those that aren't quite sure what it is, you know, the, the Reach model is kind of the new generation of, of, of an ACO. ACO Reach stands for Realization equity, access, community health model. Uh, interesting acronym for the evolving ACO model that's out there. Um, how is that, and what the government doing with, with the ACO REACH model, how is that translating into either higher reimbursement for providers, or what are the payers, the commercial payers doing to either replicate that or follow the government's lead? Any ideas? Well, the first thing that ACO REACH is doing is it's, help, it's helping physicians organize themselves. One of the tenets of the ACO REACH model, as opposed to direct contracting, was the government really wants the doctors to be in the driver's seat. 75% of the, of the board has to be comprised of physicians. Right. And so... Uh, independent physicians, maybe hospital employed or private equity, you know, uh, uh, village MD type uh, organizations, they're all getting, getting involved with this. But in a different way, that is at the local level accountable to each other. And that network that they build and that infrastructure that they uh, invest in, and the government is helping with that investment by 
providing some advanced funds, which they did not do under regular right. ACO. So the care coordination infrastructure that government is helping pay for. So this whole local contracting entity, this ACO reach is available to payers and also available for direct contracting to employers. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, so a whole new table is being set here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So when when we're talking about this and you think about the benefits of the ACO reach model, it does a couple of things, right? So it's allowing providers to get some additional resources to help reduce their costs, right? To be able to provide support to more local providers. If there are independents in your market, there's a way to help subsidize and maybe support some of that cost all in the name of, of performance and quality and, and outcomes. And I also see it as a mechanism in the event that this integrated network, your ACO performs, you have an opportunity to earn some nice money off of this. Yes, it's really designed to be a um, Medicare Advantage lookalike without, with, without the constraints of Medicare Advantage. Yeah. So this thing is either a camel and or it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And there'll <laughs> probably be some of both. It's probably going to be in the middle somewhere, right? Well, the, you'll have across a, a full spectrum, but they're going to be ACO reach models that end up in the ditch really fast. Oh, there are. There are. And you, you I mean, you saw that early on. It's happened all the way along. I could remember going way back when, um, you know, the, the, the first ACO. Yeah, the uh, next gens. Yeah, they, exactly. You know, with right. the next the pioneers. gen. Pioneers. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there was there was quite a few failures, but there was a lot of successes too. And those that were successful were really successful, and they they did That's well. Right. So, how are the commercial carriers responding to this? So, so there's a fundamental problem that the carriers have, and what Medicare is doing is it's showing or helping provider networks wrestle with this problem. And that is this, HMOs are not selling. PPOs are selling. Right. Well, and especially in the MA space, right? HMOs, although a lot of the five-star plans are HMOs, you know, it's restricted to a community. It's, it's hard to advance that beyond it because of the restrictions around the HMO model. Well, and, and, you know, there's the, the, the uh, pri primary care referral authorization requirement and all the right. rest of it. For that product to grow, they, the industry moved to Medicare PPO, which allows for direct access to specialists. Um, it's still supportive of a primary care relationship, but frankly, it's pretty loose. So... Now, what you have in the Medicare Advantage market is this kind of PPO situation where suddenly the providers are invited to take risk. Well, that's been an alien con con uh, concept for a long time until, until ACO Reach comes along and does the same thing because <laughs> Medicare is a PPO. Right. It well, happens to have everybody in it. It, it so is. I mean, if no you think about it, it is limitation. Yeah. There is a seduction 
involved to, to have that really strong primary care relationship. But if you wake up with a sore back and you want to go to the orthopod, bypass your primary care, there's no benefit hassle. There's no benefit um, penalty. There's nothing to prevent that from happening. Whereas in a Medicare HMO, that could be restricted. Right. So, so there is a lot more leakage in these, in these uh, ACO networks, and you have to manage leakage and increase keepage in either the ACO reach model or any of these Medicare or commercial at-risk arrangements um, for, for you to prosper. So managing who the patients see and how they get there really becomes important. Yeah, absolutely. It's on a framework of a really good primary care relationship with the patient. Because if the patient has a good relationship, there'll be more connectivity. If they have no relationship and it's simply a transaction, then they're going to bounce around like a pachinko ball in the healthcare system. Yeah, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. If you're just joining us, just tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino. You're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm talking today with Cliff Frank, and we're having a fascinating discussion on the evolving insurance products and what we see happening, both from the Medicare perspective with ACO Reach, and then also from the commercials. So, Cliff, as as I hear you talk about that, um, are you seeing standard fee-for-service PPO products now introducing risk? Into, into that type of an arrangement without having it a value-based care type of a, a structured contract? Or, or are you still seeing both of those you know, being primarily driven from, from value-based care? So it's again following the Medicare ACO model. What, happen, what happens now is that not, there's not a direct capitation from the plan sending a check to a provider network which then uh, reconstructs the downstream payment stream. That's not happening. But what is happening is say, here's a population that includes HMO, PPO, ACA plans, left-handed people on Tuesdays, uh, and, and some out of state. And that's all in your risk bucket. But if you beat that total medical expense, and that's the way things usually now are hooked up with a total medical expense model, you beat that, uh, on a risk-adjusted basis, you get fifty or sixty or seventy percent of the savings. Right. So it still is some. So so it is tied to some level of performance. It, it's there is a value-based component to it, right? You well, have to be able to now aggregate Medicare the cost. Medicare has made it okay to have that gate swing both ways. Mm-hmm. In Medicare, you know, first it was track C, D, and E, where you had one percent, two percent, four percent at risk and 4% on $100 million where you got 7,000 members suddenly at 12,000 a piece, that's $100 million spent. That's a lot of money. And yeah, so you absolutely. Could lose, you could lose 4%. Well, most providers don't have that kind of money laying around. Well, now the carriers are kind of adopting those kinds of models. Well, they'll, they'll go down maybe up 20, down 10%. Which is right. enough to, that's enough to get your attention. The whole thing is they want to get your attention because here's the issue. 
The issue is, is that not that there's variation in unit price, although there is, but not that much. And frankly, with transparency, we can see that and that's going to get squeezed out. What there is, is variation in clinical proclivity. Exactly. We've got some Agreed. docs who have a, who see a pulse as an indicator to do something. Yes. Anything. Right. And you have others who are much more conservative. And worse, they may both be in the same tax ID. They're right. both part of the same group practice. Well, it's really important to have, have the doctors, the primary care doctors, incentivized to send to the conservative doctor and not to the cowboy. Yeah. So what really what we're talking about then is in these new models, you have to focus on reducing the variation that's occurring between the providers, right? And yep. as you begin to do reduce that variation, you're re reducing the cost uh, differential that's occurring. And based on what the performance thresholds are, that's where you're able to make some of your money. So it, it truly is creating that efficiencies in the name of, of, of taking costs out. And improving quality. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So, so when you think about that, gosh, for many healthcare, for ACOs, for, for hospitals and so forth, in order for that to work, they've got to invest in their infrastructure, right? You're talking about investing in care managers. You're talking about going through some initiatives to, you know, some clinical variation redu initiatives, reduction initiatives. So you're taking costs out, you're preparing, you're helping the physicians become successful. You know, I'm hearing that hospitals are struggling with that, right? They don't have the money to invest in it. So how are they going to be successful well, in these products? They also don't have the guts. Ah, yes. <laughs> you got to be able, that's where it starts, right? You, you got to say, hey, we're doing this and we're, well, we're, we're everybody needs to be on board. We're attacking ourselves. And if our, if our big admitters are also the outliers, you know, that's a big problem. Yeah. So making that transition, you know, the old two canoes um, with one foot in each um, is really, really hard. And, and that's where, you know, some of these other intermediary organizations may step in and, and do that right. either for the hospital or to the hospital. Well, and that's where, that's where it starts, right? I mean, you have to, you have to have the directive, you have to have sort of that, that mission or, or the vision to say, here's how we're going to do things differently. But, you know, I, I guess to a certain extent, that will only take you so far. If you don't have the financial resources to invest in providing that delivery model different than, than how you're doing it today, you're not going to be successful regardless of what you say. Are you hearing commercial carriers, or are you seeing commercial carriers willing to invest or provide some resources back to the ACOs or to the hospitals that allow them to collaborate on, on these types of innovative structures? Yeah, the, the, the payers will generally cough up some care management fees in the, in right. the, three, the three to $10 per member per, per month range. The problem is that even when they save five million, when that uh, entity the ACO or the CIN saves $10 million. Okay. Where'd that savings come from? Generally, it comes out of the hospital. Well, it does. So, yeah. In terms of utilization reduction. So, how much does a hospital get back? Maybe $2 million, $2.5 million. So, does that compensate them for the loss of the revenue? No way. 
No. So what has to happen is a combination of successful performance, but then there's got to be leakage reduction to backfill the revenue so the hospital doesn't die from, from doing well on these value-based deals. You are absolutely right. So it has to be a two-pronged approach. And I think this is where, to a certain extent, some of the, some of the CFOs, some of the hospital leaders are, are struggling with. Not only do you have to take costs out of the system and become more efficient, you have to figure out how you expand your geographic reach, how you begin to pull the patients back into the system if they're leaking out. And frankly, if you're in a, you know, let's say a, a, a restricted market where, you know, you're capturing 80 to 90% of the market, you've got to figure out how you can partner with somebody else to, to expand that opportunity to, to, to grow your patient population. Without having those things done, I agree with you, I think it's a real uphill battle for some of the hospitals. Yeah, I think the strategies are completely different, rural versus urban, and even mid-urban, you know, the, the two-hospital town that's got, yeah. you know, 300,000 people or 200,000 people, um, that's way different than the the 12 hospital market like Tampa where the most penetration you're going to have is about 30%. So you got 70% leakage. Well, there's a hell of an opportunity there. Yes. Um, whereas if you've got 80, 80 or 90% keepage, it's not really going to grow. No, so, it's not going to grow. So I think those strategies, although I think the principles are the same, the strategies have to be different. But I also feel like as we're thinking about the payers in that market, we also have to figure out from a provider standpoint, what's driving some of the economic discussions and the economic successes for your institution? I, I really believe that because payers are going to continue to put pressure on hospitals to accept less reimbursement and hospitals just can't do it. And if anything, they need more reimbursement because they have to be able to cover the inflationary costs that are inherent in their organization. So as they're thinking about redesigning their sort of their strategic economic approach, they have to focus on how they create greater expansion how they can collaborate, how they can bring down their costs, but I think also become creative in some of their negotiations with their payers so you can be able to receive some level of resourcing that covers these, these costs and really drive some mutual success. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take all of that plus an examination of, well, maybe we're not, we maybe among our five hospitals in the market, Everyone doesn't need a heart program. Everyone doesn't need OB. Everyone doesn't need uh, behavioral health. And you try and kind of do that clinical integration that we said we would do that we didn't do. Yeah. And, and that clinical rationalization. Right. So much of that has not taken place because it was just too hard. Well, now if we're going to go bankrupt, guess what? You know? <laughs> well, and that's a good point too. And in and, and a lot of the conversations I'm having with hospitals, um, it's really around, hey, what are you doing well, right? Where do you want to put your resources? You can't provide everything to, to everybody. And, 
it's unfortunate, but the economic environment just doesn't doesn't allow for that. But it also then helps to create um, or position the hospitals for success, and 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 they and they they can focus a lot of their their outcomes, their cost management on those particular clinical service areas that they do really, really well. It's almost a differentiator. Well, it is. And in fact, it may be cheaper or more effective for you to buy that other service like dialysis from your competitor rather than to provide it yourself. Particularly yeah. if you're in a risk-based deal to where everything's a cost, nothing's a profit. Yeah, so, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. Well, Cliff, this has been fantastic. I, you know, as always, I I enjoy the conversation. You bring certainly a wealth of knowledge and, and new perspectives in terms of where the the payer industry, the reimbursement um, is all going. Any final thoughts or insights you'd love to share with with our audience? Well, I just think that we're headed for two more years of violent combat in the in the arena because uh, payers greed is unending because their stockholders um, avarice is significant and providers are not exempt from any of that either they suffer the same disease so right. we're all just fighting over the same pie and it ain't getting bigger right. <laughs> we're done with getting it bigger well, it's not getting any bigger. And it, I tell you, it's getting harder. And if we, we've got to figure out how we continue to connect the dots. And, and man, that that line is getting harder and harder to draw. Well, that well, line Cliff, is I, beginning I want to, thank to you look for like your, a tapeworm. It is. It is like a tapeworm. You're absolutely right. Well, my friend, I want to thank you for joining today. This has been a, a great conversation. Always love to have you. Um, again, want to thank you for, for a lot of your insights. I also want to thank our audience for listening today. Until the next insight, I am Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organization's performance? Visit us at LuminaHP.com to learn more about our professional advisory services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. To connect with Daniel Marino or for more information about the show, visit our website or healthcarenowradio.com. Join this conversation using our hashtag VBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.